0: Recently, there was a report that had come out that that really seemed interesting to me, and it was this report on population numbers throughout the centuries and throughout the years. It reported that in in the in the time of King David, you would have had about 150 million people on Earth at that time, which is relatively low comparatively. About a thousand years later, when Jesus was on the Earth, it had doubled to about 300 million people, and it took quite a while for the population of the Earth to grow. And grow and grow until we got to the 1800s when we finally saw a billion people on the face of the earth. From there we started to see the population of the, of the world really start to move quickly. By 1930 there's 2 billion people and by 1974 there's 4 billion. In 1999 there's 6 billion people on earth. And today there's an estimated 7.3 billion people on the face of the earth. In the year... 2050, the population is expected to be at about 10 billion people in this world. The research went a little bit further and it started adding up the populations all throughout time the best that it can do. And of course it's not going to be a perfect number but taking people all the way back to the original two the closest these researchers could find is there's been 108 billion people that are living or have lived on the Earth since it was created. And if you think about that, there's all these people who are different. They're in different parts of the world. There's, there's different colors. There's different cultures. There's, there's different uh, languages. There's different places that they live. But with all this difference, And even in time periods, 108 billion people, there's something that is exactly the same about each one of them. Every one of those people needs Jesus. Every one of those people needs Jesus. It's it's really interesting to me when we look back at the spread of the gospel message, when we start reading through our gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and if we add the book of Acts in there, we can see that God clearly has a plan to reach all of the people. There's a plan to reach all of the people today. There has been plans in place. And it's so important that the gospel writers, all four of them, mention it at least once or touch on it in their gospels. If you look at Luke's writing, you mentioned it twice. There's Acts and we're going to talk about that in just a second. So, The New Testament is showing us God's plan to reach these people five times. Who remembers in elementary school when you'd have to write your spelling words five times? Right? You remember writing your cursive letters five times? Maybe your times tables? Uh, For those that don't know cursive letters and times tables, ask somebody with gray over 35. We'll tell you about those. No, it's numbers, times, but we would write them out five times because why? It was important and we needed to remember it, right? So I really think that God has put this in the scripture for us five times so that we know it's important. I'd ask you to open your Bibles this morning to the first chapter of the book of Acts. We're going to be reading verse number eight before moving on to Acts 18 and we're going to be in 18 through 28 in a message that I have titled, Finding Your Jerusalem. This path in chapter 1, verse 8, is given to the 11 remaining disciples. Jesus had risen from the dead. He was seen by more than 500 people. He had shown the holes in his hands to Thomas. And this is before he ascended back into heaven. I want you to remember that number. Jesus told this plan to eleven men acts chapter one verse eight the second half of the verse reads like this It says but you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth if you find this in the book of Matthew and how Matthew addresses this, there's there's some more detail, and I think there's some that's very important. You don't have to turn to Matthew. I'll read this to you because we're going to come right back into Acts. Matthew in chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, he quotes Jesus as saying, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded of you." See, it is here that Jesus is laying out this plan to take his message to the masses. He has given this direction to the disciples and it is their job to go and find others and to bring them the kingdom and to leave and connect with them and to bring people to Jesus. Sounds pretty simple, right? Maybe it's not as simple as it sounds to us today in in our church world see we can't take the direction at face value of what jesus had told the eleven men if if we were we would all be on our way to jerusalem right now and then off to judea and in samaria places that don't even really exist on on the map that aren't called by that anymore you and i were in southern california we are two thousand years and seventy five hundred miles removed from when this instruction was originally given so how do we take this instruction and put it into our lives what are we supposed to do as as Christians our job is not to to just come into church week after week and sponge up all the Bible talk that we can and then go home and sit for six days before we do it all over again our job is to spread the gospel and take the message of Christ to Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to all the ends of the earth And in our world, that might include the break room at work. That might include all the people in our lives who we come in contact with. It's going to include everyone we know and everyone we don't know. If you don't know 100% that the person next to you is going to be walking the streets of gold with Jesus, that is where your commission starts. They are your Jerusalem that is our first stop this morning we're going to be looking at four biblical individuals who gave us an example of of following the instructions of Jesus and we're going to see how God can take each one of them to find Jerusalem in their own lives if you will turn in your Bibles with me to the 18th chapter of the book of Acts we're going to start in verse number 18 in the book of Acts Luke writes for us the beginning building blocks of the church As the church is moving into the land of the Gentiles, and at this point in the growth process, the Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey, and and he's journeyed from his headquarters in the city of Antioch, and and he's moved up into uh, Galatia and Asia Minor, and and he's come down into Macedonia and, and through the cities of Philippi and Berea and Athens, and now he's in the city of Corinth. And it is here in Corinth where Paul is going to start making his turn to head back to his headquarters in Antioch and finish up his second missionary journey. But while he's in Corinth, he he stumbles across a couple of people here. Aquila and Priscilla, he finds, are God-fearing Jews. And This couple had previously been in Rome, and and the city of Rome had kicked them out. They'd kicked all the Jews out of Rome. So Priscilla and Aquila make their way to Corinth, and they had no idea that God was putting them together to meet with Paul at the same time that he was going to be there. This this husband and wife team had this friendship bond with Paul, and they became a a common team. They all knew the scriptures, which would have been the Old Testament. They were... They were all tent makers, so, so they shared a vocation. They, were, they understood Greek and Roman and Jewish culture. And so now Paul is going to head back to Antioch, his headquarters city, and he's going to take Priscilla and Aquila with them. So they all met in Corinth, but we're getting ready to leave. Read with me starting in verse 18. We're going to read through verse 21. Luke writes, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, and then he left with the brothers and he sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centraea because of a vow he had taken. They arrived in Ephesus. Where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. In verse number 20. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. And then he set sail from Ephesus. The first stop across the Aegean Sea when these three left Corinth was the port city of Ephesus. They got on the boat in Corinth and it stopped in Ephesus. It's a great city, Ephesus is, that's full of, of philosophy and art and architecture and, and tons of people and, and big buildings and there's this shrine of uh, to, uh, the goddess Artemis or Diana as the Romans would call her and, and we've we've read about her later on in other chapters and it was that Artemis shrine that really became a tourism tourism business for the city of Ephesus worship to Artemis was common among the people who lived in Ephesus and they worshipped her as a goddess of fertility and magic and of astrology it was, she was a deity that really would bring the passion of a woman towards a man and so it was a very powerful deity to the to the people of Ephesus. Archaeology has shown us that The people who lived in that city worshipped up to 50 different gods throughout the city of Ephesus. As Paul and Priscilla and Aquila could tell right away, this is an area that is prime, prime for the gospel of Christ. Ephesus was also known as a place of demonic activity where the the city really needed to hear this gospel of Jesus. So Paul does what Paul does when he comes to a new city. Paul heads to the synagogue he goes up to the synagogue and he starts to reason with the Jews in, in talking to the Jews about Christ and telling them that that Jesus is the Messiah that they have been looking for Paul was spreading the good news just like he had done on all of the other stops that he had made but for some reason the Bible doesn't tell us Paul didn't take Aquila and Priscilla with him on the rest of his journey It seems that that they had intended to go to Syria with him, but we find out that Paul doesn't take them. And at first glance, we're not quite sure why. But once we read a little bit further, we can see that God really had a plan. Read with me again. We're in Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. Verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Did you see what just happened? So far in our story, we've met Priscilla and Aquila who were taught even more about Jesus under the Apostle Paul. We have Apollos who was educated probably in some of the, some of the, the largest universities in Alexandria and, and knew of John the Baptist. And we have Paul himself who was taught by Jesus himself. Point number one in your notes this morning. As Christians, when we set out to find our Jerusalem, we first need to be ready to learn. As Christians, when we set out to find our Jerusalem, we first need to be ready to learn. Apollos was a native of Alexandria. You have to put your pinky out like this and kind of like wear a monocle. It's like Alexandria. It's that kind of place, right? So when somebody knows you're from Alexandria, there's this, there's this idea that comes with you because Alexandria is it's this huge city that's full of learning. It's full of Greek culture, the Hebrew culture. There's Jewish culture there as well. But the university holds libraries containing, containing Latin and Greek and philosophy and, and medicine and mathematics and history. It's the town center of education in this world. And when the Bible says that Apollos was from Alexandria, it's essentially telling us that Apollos is well-educated, that he's familiar with the finer things, that, that he's from a city of about a million people, that, that he's from a good stock, he knows a good lifestyle, that Apollos comes from an area where he learns and he knows and he brought into Ephesus with him this amazing ability to capture the attention of a crowd with words and voice. The Bible tells us that, that he spoke eloquently. So here's this young preacher who comes to Ephesus with this great education, his brilliance in speech, his awe-inspiring demeanor, and a great understanding of the Old Testament. Apollos really knew his stuff. But the one unspoken trait about Apollos that we don't find in the Bible, but you can see by just reading over the story, the Bible gives us this trait in different words showing us that Apollos has humility. Apollos has humbled himself. To humble yourself means that we must learn to step back and to let somebody else take the lead and teach us. There was an orchestra conductor a while back who was once asked out of all the instruments in your orchestra that you know how to play and teach the members of your orchestra, which one is the most difficult to play? The conductor replied very quickly, he says the hardest instrument to play is second fiddle. To, 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 to play a backup role is the, is the most difficult, difficult to play because you have to give, you have to humble yourself. To somebody else. See, with all of the understanding that Apollos had, he did have to humble himself to learn from total strangers. So imagine Aquila and Priscilla, they, they went to the synagogue and they've just been traveling around with Paul. And they're at the synagogue and maybe they're hearing some of the Jews talk about the message that Paul was bringing to them before he left. And they start to hear a new guy talking over here and they're, he's talking about. Jesus they recognize this they recognize that that he's talking about about Jesus in there's not a lot of other people who really know this story but there's something missing from the message that Apollos is teaching at the synagogue see Apollos didn't tell the Jews that that Jesus died for their sins he didn't tell the Jews that there was a sanctifying power in Christ he didn't tell them about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit he, it was evident to Priscilla and Aquila that Apollos was missing something in his teaching. And so maybe, maybe it's after service that, that Aquila and Priscilla, maybe they meet up with Apollos in the parking lot and they're just looking around make sure there's no Jews around and just say, hey, Apollos, um, we know your story, we know what you're talking about, but there's a little bit more. We've been traveling with the Apostle Paul, and." How about you come on over to our tent this afternoon? We'll barbecue, and we want to tell you the rest of the story. See, Apollos right then could have told Aquila and Priscilla, he could have said, you know, I'm not listening to you. He could have told them, I've learned from the best universities in the world. I I know the baptism of John the Baptist. I'm not going to listen to a couple of Jews that I just met about one of the most important topics in the world. That's what he could have done. But Apollos humbled himself to learn all that he had studied, all that he had preached. The Bible says that he knew only the baptism of John the Baptist. See, John's baptism was... Emerging in water, it was, it was focused on repentance of sin. The, the baptism of Christ, is it comes with the whole message, the story that includes the point that Jesus died for our sins, that includes the point that he was resurrected, that belief in Jesus brings eternal life, that includes the point that the Holy Spirit moves into your heart and takes permanent residence. That's the part of the story that Apollos didn't have. Apollos would end up becoming one of the great, Bible teachers and teachers of Christ in the early church in that part of the world. But he recognized that there was more that he needed to learn before he could step out and teach. You and me, maybe we've been going to church for years. Maybe we've read our Bible from cover to cover. Maybe we listen to pastors on the radio. But we all still have something that we can learn. There's so many times that you'll hear somebody say, I've, I've read through that, that book of the Bible 10 times, and every time I learn something new. Every time God shows me something new that is in that book that I haven't read. Maybe somebody's here for the first time this morning. Maybe somebody got a, a, a Bible for Christmas, and you really, you know, you don't know where to start. We, you start where we all start when we're walking out this great commission. The first step is we're starting with learning, And sometimes we need to humble ourselves before we can actually learn. No one in here knows all that there is to know about our faith. No one in any pastoral staff knows everything that there is to know. No one on the radio. We have to keep learning. It's nothing that we stop. It continues. We all have our testimony that we could give to people when they ask us about Jesus. So at least we have something that we can talk about. But what happens when people don't ask you about Jesus? Does it mean that we're not going to talk to him? No. We can talk to him, and we must talk to him. That's our job. That's the point of the Great Commission, is we have to be ready to be a witness. But in order to be a good witness, we have to notice what's going on around us. Read with me back in Acts We're in 18, verse number 23. We're actually going to look at what Paul does when he left Ephesus. Luke writes, after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and he traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples. See, once Paul left, Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. He made a quick stop in Antioch. His headquarters grabbed some Gatorade, did some laundry, and he was gone. He was, he was out again. Maybe not the Gatorade. I'm sure he did some laundry. But that he was going again. And what he was doing, he was keeping an eye out. He was looking for people to talk to about Jesus. Point number two in your notes this morning. To walk out the Great Commission we need to be ready to look to walk out the great commission we need to be ready to look when aquila and priscilla went to the synagogue they were looking for jews to talk to about jesus but they suddenly found apollos who had shown up and had started talking there when They talked to Apollos and filled him in on the rest of the story. That conversation literally changed the movement of the Christian church in that area. It gave a brilliant preacher all that he needed now to go back to Achaia and go back to Corinth and start to bring up believers and start to water the seeds that Paul had planted in that area. But some people say, some people say, you know, I really can't... I, I have a hard time finding somebody to talk to about Jesus. And I think that people who say that they can't find somebody to talk to about Jesus is just the same reason that a bank robber can't find a cop. It's, it's the same thing because they're not looking. You have to be looking. There was a recent website that was released from Stanford University that lets you calculate miles debt and distance in in the Roman world, and and when the travels of Paul were put into the system, and they looked at how far Paul traveled and what the cost of his travels were, it was calculated that Paul has traveled 10,200 miles in his missionary journey. 10,200 miles. Let me put that in perspective for you. I want you to look at the world map in your head. Okay, Follow me. We're going all the way down to South America. We're going to the bottom of Chile. We're going to the furthest island point that you can go south on that continent, okay? We're going to start there, and we're going to start walking back up. We're going to walk. That's what Paul did, okay? We're, we're not, not on a metro. We're walking all the way up through South America, Panama Canal, Central America. There's the U.S. There's Canada. We're still going. We're going up through this ice. We're going all the way up here to the furthest island that you can get that is covered in ice, under Canadian territory, 10,200 miles, the distance that Paul traveled in his missionary journeys. He visited so many different lands. He saw scenes of beauty that, that would have been Engulfed in the the architecture of where he had been, he saw the wonderful mountain landscapes of Galatia. He had memories from the road in Damascus. He could close his eyes and see the beauty of the shores just lapping up against the docks in in the dock cities. He ate different customs and local food. There's so many things that Paul saw. And with all of this, when he returned, he started writing. He would sit down and write these epistles that would go to the different churches. But yet in all the writings of the Apostle Paul, there is not one line that is descriptive of the scenery that Paul walked through. There's not one line that is telling us of the wonders of the architecture that he saw. There's not one line that is describing the customs of the people. There's not one line that lets us see the wonders of the regions through the eyes of Paul. Paul wrote about a third of the New Testament and he didn't leave us any visuals of what he saw. You know why Paul left that absence of visuals? It's because these things that Paul saw, that wasn't what he was looking for. He traveled over 10,000 miles and he was blind to everything else. The only thing that Paul was looking for was the next person to talk to about Jesus. That's what Paul was looking for. I know here I've been focused on Paul, and I don't want to say we need to go and be more like Paul because that's going to leave us all discouraged, but what we can take from Paul's message is that we always need to be looking. Paul was always looking. He wasn't waiting for somebody to walk up to him and say, Hey, um, you Paul? Hey, um, uh, hey, I'm Mike from accounting, and word is around here, you can tell me about Jesus. See, that's not what Paul was doing. Paul knows he has to go out and find people. Jesus said in the great commission from Matthew to go and make disciples of all nations. He never said stand outside the Circle K with a rack of books waiting for somebody to come up and ask you. He said to go. We cannot wait. The eternity of somebody that we know very well may be waiting on what we have to say. Jesus said to go. Go. We need to be looking for the people that we work with. We need to be looking for the people that we buy our coffee from in the morning. We need to be looking for the people who are in line with us at Ralph's and at Albertson's. Remember what I mentioned at the beginning. If you don't know 100% that that person next to you is walking down the streets of gold, that is your Jerusalem. They are your first stop. But naturally, once we look... And, and we find what we're looking for, when we find that person that the Holy Spirit has put in front of us to talk to about Jesus, then it is time to move. I want you to read back with me. We're back in Acts chapter 18. We're going to be in verse 27. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers, these are the brothers in Ephesus, encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. I want a side note right here for a moment. The Bible says that Apollos proved from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. The scriptures to Apollos were our Old Testament. He didn't have all of the letters from Paul. I almost think in a way it's unbiblical to say that you cannot you cannot bring somebody to Christ with the content from the Old Testament Jesus is all over the Old Testament he is there in the Old Testament and Apollos took the Old Testament and he took what he knew which didn't include letters but he took what he knew and he brought people to Christ it says he proved it from the scriptures point number three in your notes to fulfill our duty we must Be ready to leave. Apollos took what he knew and what he had learned under Aquila and Priscilla, and he went looking for souls. To fulfill our duty, we must be ready to leave. Apollos was told to go to Ephesus and to strengthen the believers. And then to go to Achaia and to strengthen the believers. Apollos was was that water. Paul had been there and planted seeds. And here comes Apollos, God's plan, sending Apollos there. His job was to take his eloquence and speech, was to take his understanding of the gospel, was to take his education in the scriptures, and he was to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of Jesus, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them. Each of these people had a chore. They each had a job. God had given them a plan and a path. Paul eventually went and started a third missionary journey. And then he came back and he spent more years in Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila, they started with Paul in Corinth and they went to Ephesus. And they were left there, but they became leaders in the church. And their home became a den of hospitality. And Apollos became such a force in Corinth, that some of the believers there actually wanted to to be proud of the fact that they learned the scriptures from Apollos. I grew up in a small Southern Baptist church in the mountains of Kern County. In the early 80s, our, our church looked like most other churches. You had a, a, a piano on, on one side, and we would have an organ on the other side, and in the middle you'd... You'd have your, your pulpit, and the pastor would come back and, and preach, and it's very similar to here. And then looking out over the pulpit, you'd have church pews going all the way back. My memory puts the upholstery in, in red, kind of a reddish hue. But you would see these pews going maybe 25 back. Now, one thing that most preachers are going to, are going to say, and this happens almost everywhere. I can almost guarantee it happens here. I'm taking my guesses Is that every single week people are going to come in and sit exactly where they sat last week. (laughs) Yeah? Sometimes. That every single week people are going to come in and they're going to come to the same seat. And I remember one revival pastor who came to the church. We had a week long revival and, and and he was speaking and he was talking to us. And I was younger at the time but it stuck with me this entire time. He had asked. He said, do you know why they call them church pews? And in my mind, I had no clue. But he says, what can happen is people come in every Sunday, and they sit in the same seat, and then they go home. And they go home for six days, and then they come, and they come, and they sit in the same seat, and then they go home. And then they come and sit in the same seat, and after a while, that seat, it kind of starts to stink after a while. He says, that's why they call them pe- Pews because sometimes people don't move they're in the same seat every time when it comes to leaving we don't need to know where we're going that's God's job he's going to take us there all we need to know is where we're leaving from sometimes he's going to lead us out of the country sometimes he's going to lead us maybe out of the city Jesus ministry it it began he he walked down the Sea of Galilee and he just said Simon Peter Andrew follow me and they just dropped everything and left they didn't know where they were going he walked further down and he found James and John and he hollered at them follow me and they left and they left their, their dad and they walked they didn't know where they were going but they left and they trusted God The end game wasn't a concern. They heard the call. They knew they had to leave their comfort zone, and they left. You and I, we might not all have all of the gifts to go to all of the nations. We might not be able to go on the missions trip to Believes. We might not be eloquent in speech. We, we might not have all the words that we know exactly what to say. We might be sitting here wondering if we're worthy enough to talk to other people about Jesus. We might sit back and say, you know what, I don't, I don't know where to start. But if we show up on Sundays for a service and we sing for a while. And we listen to a pastor and then we go home and then we come back on Wednesdays. And then we go home and we come back on Sundays again. We might be in a learning stage. But we might be in a stagnant stage. Leaving doesn't have to be going to Jerusalem it can simply be leaving your seat leaving can be leaving your comfort zone it can be it can be getting involved with a service at the church if anyone is here today and you're not involved with a service or ministry at this church I beg of you go find one of the pastors find one of the elders there is something here that the church needs from you you can Volunteer, you can give your time and you can move out of that comfort zone. Leaving your seat, leaving your home, leaving your comfort zone, it allows us to be a witness. It allows us to bring an example to other people. We become the people through ministering, that through the gifts that God has given us, we become the people that, that he has asked us to be. And when we mature in these gifts and you grow in the spirit, then you blossom into If You blossom into this person who can walk out the Great Commission through service. When we see the process of fulfilling the Great Commission come full circle, it's going to leave you a different person than when you started the process. I'm going to read back in Matthew here, uh, the Great Commission right there. Listen to me again. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. To obey everything I have commanded of you. When you teach people about Jesus, you have taken the next and the final step in the plan. Point number four on your notes this morning Obeying the command of Jesus means we must be ready to lead. When we obey the commands of Jesus, it means we must be ready to lead. You can look and you can learn and you can leave, but that all leads to leading. We are to teach others to obey everything that Jesus has taught us. And in doing so, we need to lead others. You might say, oh, pastor, I'm, I'm not the type to lead others. I get nervous talking to people like I'm more passive I'm more of a follower like I'm not I'm more submissive I don't call me to lead I'm not the one that's calling you to lead God is that's God that's giving us this command We have to lead others it is your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who gave these instructions to 11 men Can you think one of those 11 men wasn't somewhat like us wasn't didn't stand up and say hey, I'm, I, that's really not me. I don't really talk to people well. We all can take a leadership role. There was a gentleman who worked in an elevator in a hospital in Nashville, Tennessee. For 45 years all he did was push buttons and he would go up and he would push buttons and he would go down taking people up and down the elevator with him and when people got into his elevator everyone knew that he was going to tell people about Jesus. For 45 years, he once said, I am just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. When Moses told God that he wasn't comfortable being the voice to the Israelites, God said, God says, you know what, I'm going to give you Aaron, I'll let him speak, but you're the one I want. Moses was not getting out of that call. God wanted him to lead God wants us to lead. He's given us this call. There's so many ways that you can lead. If all you can do is lead by example, then lead by example. Let other people at work see the character of Christ in you. Let your family know that you're the spiritual leader of your home. Let your kids see you praying. Let them see you reading the Bible. Let your kids know that Jesus is part of your life, and you're teaching that to your children. Let them see Christ in you. That's leading in our house. That's leading in our world. If nothing else, be a leader by showing others. Finally, there was a fictional story written a while back about when Jesus returned to heaven after the... After his death on the cross and after his resurrection from the tomb. And the angels were all gathered in amazement and they were looking at the holes in his hands. And they were looking at his, his feet and, and, and they were shuddering at the suffering that he must have gone through. Finally Gabriel spoke up and, and he says, Master, you suffered terribly down there. He said, do they know and appreciate your sacrifice and what you've done? Jesus said, no. Not yet. Right now, only a handful of people in Palestine know. Gabriel says, well then, well then, how is everyone else going to know? Christ says, I've asked Peter and James and John and a few others to spread the news. And they're to go out and tell others. And others will turn and tell others. And others will turn others until... The gospel is spread to all the corners of the earth. Gabriel knew the human heart, the nature of human beings. And he says, Jesus, what is your, what's your plan B? Jesus said, I don't have a plan B. There is no alternative strategy. I'm counting on them. 20 centuries later, there still is no alternative strategy. He is counting on us. He is counting on us. It started with 11 men. The church at Pentecost, yes, they spread out and they took the gospel out. But Christ told 11 men. And that has not changed if we've taken this time to learn and open ourselves to start looking and and being willing to leave our comfort zone and being prepared to lead we can fulfill this great commission that has been given to us we were all given this great commission every single one of us no one here was given the great commission by accident we weren't given it as an option we weren't given it as a choice Jesus didn't say, do this if you want to, or do this if you find time, or if you feel comfortable, or go and talk to others about me if the subject comes up. That's not what he said. Jesus said, to witness in Jerusalem to all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Our first stop, our Jerusalem might be right here in this room this morning. It might be as soon as we get inside our door at home. It might be at work in the morning. It might be who's helping us in electronics at the Walmart tomorrow. I don't know. I don't know where your Jerusalem is this morning. Or who God is calling you to witness to. But I do know that God is calling you. He's calling you because he wants you. It's not a mistake. He wants you. This command that was given, this great commission was given to 11 men, passed down through the generations, through God's inerrant holy word, and now this command is for us. The exact same direction. The only thing that has changed is the where. Where? the original disciples were to take the message to the original Jerusalem you and i are to take the message to a different Jerusalem we call that Jerusalem southern california it's right here Amen. our job is to be a witness in our Jerusalem, to learn and to find and to make disciples of all nations, teaching them and leading them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded of us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for choosing us. Thank you for allowing us to be your witness and allowing us to be your mouthpiece Lord we ask for you to to strengthen us when when we need your strength because this is a tough world that we live in and it's hard to talk to people about you sometimes but we know that that's what you have asked us to do Lord we ask for your strength we ask for your confidence because we know that the eternity of somebody else could be dependent upon us. We can't save them, but we can be a conduit for the Holy Spirit to save, and that's our job. We want to accept that. We want to grow in that. Lord, I want to thank you for everyone here this morning. I want to thank you for the hospitality of this church to to Kelly and myself, and I want to thank you for the worship band of the children who are in the room next door. I ask that you place their hand upon them. You let everyone go home from here tonight with a healthy heart, one that is growing in you, one that is looking forward to you, one that is looking for the next person to talk to about you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.